Good morning, Wells Branch Community Church. How are you doing? Man, I am so glad that all of you are here. My name is Chris Pleckenpole. I'm the lead pastor here at Wells Branch Community Church and pumped that all of you are here. And if you are new, welcome. Uh, Don't forget to get your sweet gift here in the back from Lisa. She will hook you up like a tow truck and we would love to connect more with you. Now, one of the things that we love to do here are ask questions. There's nothing that's off limits, so send in your text, and uh, we answer these all on Pastor Plex podcast, and I would love to answer that for you uh, this week. So please, at any point, I won't think you're like texting anybody else for like lunch plans. I will know that you're asking really deep theological or cultural questions because we talk about faith, culture, and everything between on this podcast. Love to have your participation there whether we're talking about the sermon or anything you want to talk about. Now, if you're, again, if you're new, we've been in a, a love and marriage series. And so if this, this for you, if you're new, it's week one. For the rest of us, it's week four and final. And so uh, some of you are like, thank God, I'm so tired of talking about marriage because I'm single. I get it. I'm glad you're here. Uh, but remember, if you, this is good for all people here, uh, whether you're married or not. We're going to talk dating stuff, so pay attention, my single people. All right. One of the first things we talked about was in in First John four. It says God is love, and as if you're a math nerd, do I have any math nerds here? So if God is love, the associative property of that will be love is God. All right, I got some smarties in here, and so usually, usually th- that would equal one another. If God is love, then love is God. And what we said was that's not true. That when you elevate love to God, it sort of uh, creates this world where love is the ultimate thing, but God is ultimate. And for a lot of us, we th- when we think of love, we think of feelings. And what we learned about Jesus is that w- the way he loved us was our benefit at his expense. Our benefit at his expense. And so what he called us to do was love one another for their benefit at our expense. And then last week, Joseph was here, Pastor Joseph, who did a brilliant job. Did you guys love Joseph yesterday? Wasn't he awesome? Or yesterday, last week, yesterday week. And uh, he talked about unveiling love. There is this reality that we need to, as, as followers of Christ, of this thing of being vulnerable with one another. But for a lot of us, we put on filters because that's we live in the world of Instagram. In fact, um, all right, so I had a birthday this week. Did you guys know that? I, yeah, I know. I know. Like, yeah. I'll, I'll, your presents will just put them on, on roll away or whatever. Uh, so here's what I want you guys to do. I turned 45, and you have this moment where you start reading memes, and they're about you. <laughs> and it said, you know your old if. And so first things on the you know your old if, it was about like 80s trivia. And I was like, that's not old, that's just cool, all right? So if you know stuff about the 80s, that makes you amazing, all right? But then it got into cultural relevance of today, and there was something I had not heard of. Have you guys ever heard of a Visco girl? <laughs> Under 30, yes. Over 30, not so much. Okay, yeah, so a Visco girl, and it's like, if you don't, they said, you are old if you don't know what a Visco girl is. like, no! And so I started doing research immediately because I had to figure out what a Visco girl is. And apparently there's this filter app, uh, the Visco app filter, which then, you know, gives you a sun-kissed look. But there is a certain kind of look that being a Visco requires, Visco girl requires. And that is an oversized t-shirt, water bottle, backpack, sunglasses, uh, Crocs, and sandals, or 
Either one can go on that one. And in fact, these are some Visco girls right here. This is the look that you're going for, all right? And so that's the oversized t-shirts is a must. And what happens, what I learned is from this great research that I did, that this has been a, a Visco app has been around for like 10 years, and I just totally was not into it or did not care or was irrelevant to me because I don't have teenage girls. Anyway, uh, although my wife recently wanted to buy a shell necklace, and I was like, why do you want to buy a shell necklace? And she didn't know about Visco girls either, and I was like, you have been influenced by Visco girls, and you didn't even know it. <laughs> I, I was like, what is this? She's like, I just really want a shell necklace. I was like, okay, anyway, moving on. So what happened, what I learned about Visco is that there's this reality that people are, they want to filter themselves. They want to, I know, shocking, right? We want to present an image that may not be fully real, but it looks natural. That's the best part about being a Visco girl. It looks like you are completely natural, little makeup, not, you know, you are going to be like as real and natural as one can be. And, and I think the reality with us, when it comes to love, we filter ourselves in relationships because we want acceptance, all right? So, th- and this is just true of single people, married people, right? Uh, that's why on your online dating app, you don't really put the worst parts about you there. In fact, you sort of filter that out. Am I right? All right, you, in fact, you don't put like a picture of you after like, you know, you, uh, it's the end of the day and you're about to go to bed. You put a picture of you like prime time, right? Like you're going to make sure that the best image of you is out there. And this is true in marriage. Like we filter ourselves between husband and wife because I don't want you to see. Or perhaps I don't want you to reject me. And this is why guys don't ask girls out on dates anymore. That's why we do this weird thing of talking, then laying on the couch watching Netflix, and then a whole confusing relationship follows, okay? That's just what happens because guys have been so afraid of this thing of rejection. So men, step up. Secondly, we are, and we can do that in marriage, right? We can do that in marriage where we stop pursuing our wives because we got rejected once seven years ago, and so I don't even want to go through that all over again, so I'll just quit, and then I can blame her for it. Oh, that got personal. Keep moving. All right, so we filter our size relationships because we want control. And I will filter my love for you to give you what I need you to see so that your behavior will reflect the outcome that I'm seeking. And we'll talk more about that. We filter ourselves to get what we want when we want it because we have this illusion of control. And then finally, we filter ourselves in relationships because we want security. I don't want to get hurt. And if I don't love, and if I sort of shut the world out, and, I'm, and you may say, like, I may give you my body, I may give you uh, uh, some spirituality, but I'm going to keep my emotions in check, and so when you push to that place, I can just check out, because I know eventually you are going to leave, you are going to hurt, you are going to do something that I don't want to have to be around for. And so we filter ourselves um, so we don't get hurt by letting ourselves love someone who has hurt us in the past or could hurt us in the future. All right, now, to really unpack all that, we're going to look at three couples. We're going to look at Adam and Eve, uh, which is pretty famous since they were couple number numero uno. And then we're going to look at Isaac and Rebecca. They had twin sons, Jacob and Esau, and they are kind of famous for that. And uh, Jacob would then become Israel. Esau would become the nation of Islam, essentially, all right? So, sort of. All right, and then, and then you've got Hosea and Gomer, all right? Hosea and Gomer, and if you don't know who those two are, it's a fascinating love story between a 
prophet and a prostitute. So that is why the Bible is great reading. Okay, so we're going to get into all of that. And so would you guys pray with me? We're going to start off this morning in Genesis uh, chapter 2, which is on page 2. There you go, uh, in the Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a black hardbound one somewhere in your vicinity. If you don't have a Bible at all, that's our gift to you. Okay, let's pray. God, thank you for your word. And Lord, as we proclaim it, as we read it aloud, as we seek you to um, connect with us, as you convict our hearts, as the stuff that gets really personal comes out of us, and we see the things that we never even realized we were doing, Lord, would you help us take filters off so we can serve the God who is, who on the cross, Jesus, you took off all filters, exposed completely to our sin, and loved us anyway. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. All right, so Genesis chapter 2. We're going to pick up uh, uh, verse uh, 24. And if you don't know, it's verse 23 is uh, this Etta James moment. If you don't know who Etta James is, you are too young. And so you need to go do some research. But there's this song that goes, and then you hold it out and it sounds way better than that. Uh, My lonely days are over, right? And and um, Adam, who had to name all the animals to find a helper that was fit for him, couldn't find one among the animal kingdom. And at last, God brought him Eve. And he was pretty excited about her uh, as, you know, th- this was the days before clothing. And that was a, a great moment. In fact, uh, Moses, in writing this, sort of kind of goes back to Adam and Eve's a moment of marriage and says, this is why. Watch. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And verse 25. You have this age of innocence, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Naked and not ashamed. And so I I, want to just sort of set that. This is the ought. In the Bible, you run into two things. What ought to be, what is. What ought to be, God's standard perfection of righteousness, what is? Us. And I think this is, this is powerful. In the age of innocence, there was no shame in nakedness. And we're going to talk about why that is important in a second. But you guys, maybe if you've been around church for 10 minutes, you know this story. Adam and Eve hanging out in the garden, uh, enjoying the fruit of God's labor, and they were working it. And then as one day Adam and Eve were rolling through, they got a little close to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and the serpent goes, <laughs> hey guys. You're missing out. This is the best fruit in the whole place. And once you eat of it, you're going to be wise like God. And you want to be like God. Don't, you don't want to be like not like God. Don't you want to be like God? And the, and the fruit looked, looked good. And it was good to eat. And it was able to make one wise. And so Eve believed the lie. And her husband was standing right next to her. And she's like, all right, crunch. Mmm, that tastes great. Here you go, Adam. Take a bite. And all the whole world broke down. And here's what's so strange about this. Because I, I think this is where a lot of people get angry at Christianity, just secularly. They go, why do you guys care so much about a Christian sex ethic? Why do you guys have so much, thing, if it doesn't hurt anybody, does it even matter? I mean, did, did eating the, a, the apple, the, the fruit, did it hurt anybody? No, it was a violation of something with God. It was just another fruit in the garden. And I don't even think it had special magic powers. I just think it was, this is the thing you cannot do. And they violated that, and it brought on consciousness of their sin. 
Okay? And I think when we wrap our head around that, God has designed us to follow him. And when we get outside of that, our life brings death. Okay, so in a sense, their souls awaken and everything gets different. And look at verse, chapter 3, verse 7. After they eat the fruit, then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. Okay, remember before, the, the ideal, verse 25 of chapter 2, naked and no shame. And they knew that they were naked. And because they knew they were naked, they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths because they had shame. Now, I, I want to just pause right here. Why? No, this is important. Why? Was being naked a sin? Were there like lewdness laws? Like, you make sure you're not in elementary school naked. No, there is, the reality is, this is the Garden of Eden. There is no school. There is no, there is no public decency law. It is Adam and Eve and a bunch of animals. Why does it matter that they're naked? Did you ever think about that? Now, I want you to think about the way you view other people. Now, of course, all of us would never gossip or talk about other people behind their back. I know other people do that, but just pretend that you might be one of those people. Isn't there a tendency, the thing that you talk about and you judge are the things that are different about other people? When people spend money different than you, don't you go, (laughs) do you see what car they bought? They can't afford that. Do you see that house they got? (laughs) Oh, that's going to be a big debt. I'm sure that's going to go well. What, what kind of, oh, they got that job? Oh, I'm sure what they had to do to get that job, right? Like all of a sudden, we start looking at people, the things that are different, and we start assuming things, and we start to put judgment on it, and Adam and Eve hanging out, they immediately noticed we're different. And so watch. They cover themselves, because what? They're shame. They're shame. Sin brings about shame, and they start to cover up the things that are different. Okay, is that fair? You see that? Now watch. Adam and Eve filtered their shame from one another. And so then the question comes, is that appropriate? In fact, remember we've talked about Pastor Plex podcast. Here's a question I got. uh, Actually, it was was sent in last Sunday, but I I think it's actually perfect for this Sunday. And here's a question. Does God's word say you have to confess to your spouse if you've sinned against them? If God doesn't say you have to, then do you think it's okay to keep secrets from your spouse if you've sinned? Is it okay to filter yourself from your spouse? Man, that's a great question. And we run into the problem of what ought versus what is. What ought to be is naked and unashamed. What is, is fig leaves covering each other. And so what's the answer? And this becomes the the part where um, we just have to understand the reality of what it means to be accepted fully. Um, Again, going back to one of my classic Tim Keller quotes, what he said was that our greatest need is to be loved and known. But if you are loved and not known, that's superficial. In fact, we greet you very politely here. In fact, we, we try and make you feel loved. But we don't know you. We don't know your story. We don't know what you, the argument you had last night or where you were last night or who you were with last night. We don't know any of that. And so I love you without knowing you. And at best, it's polite. At worst, it's superficial. 
right? Churches everywhere love everybody superficially. Now, this, watch this, but to be known and not loved is your greatest fear. And a lot of us have church hurt because we at least thought that somebody at a church did not approve of us, and so they rejected us, or in our heads, they rejected us, and so we said, fine, you fulfilled my greatest fear. I'm never going back there again. But to be fully known and fully loved is how God loves. And when you can love somebody like that, that's powerful. That's naked and unashamed. Naked and unashamed. So how do I get from what is filtered to naked and unashamed? A couple ways. Uh, One is that um, men need to lead in this. Lead in vulnerability, and you're like, Chris, if, you, if I were to tell her, then she would get angry, and then she would leave, and then that. What you're telling me is that your fear of a person is greater than your fear of God. Okay? All right, that, that's just what you're saying. Now, second, second, what you're saying is, I don't trust, I, if I can't control what they know, then I have to control how they love and what they can love me with for. And you just go back to your greatest fear. If I tell her that, then she's not going to love me. And if you, didn't, if you don't have Jesus in your life, I think that's a, a significant fear, and I don't know what you do. But if you do have Jesus, then your hope is not in her acceptance, but in his, and that that freedom that comes from bearing your soul and being naked and unashamed is the direction that you want to go. Now, listen, microwaving that is, that's hard. Doing that quickly, like, hey, let's just be real. Let's just talk about all the stuff. And so, ladies, um, who are usually a little bit better at vulnerability than men because you think about your feelings more than like once every 10 years, uh, it might be good for you to help uh, some of the men sort of figure out the process of the things that they are going on inside that they're hiding. They don't even know they're hiding because they don't even think about that stuff, okay? Because, I mean, if if we're not in the work box, we don't think about work. If we're not in the relationship box... We don't think about relationships. Right? That's why men are like waffles, women are like spaghetti. That's the way it works. We don't, if we're not there, we're not thinking about it. And so what I need you to see, and this, is, this goes to when you're dating, right? There's a tendency in dating to put all sorts of filters on, and then all of a sudden you get married, and it's like, whoa! I, you lied! You didn't, sh-. well, you didn't ask. You didn't, you know. Okay. All right. And so what I need you to see is that in marriage, you're moving toward naked and ashamed. You're going for what is highly filtered to naked and unashamed. Does that make sense? That, that direction has got to be the place where you're, where you're going and you're trying to, you're not going to go to more filtered. You're going to get to a place of greater trust, greater intimacy, greater confession and repentance with one another. That is God's calling on our lives the direction and listen we just tend to mirror vulnerability so the more filter you put up the less vulnerable your partner will be okay all right now let's talk about what happens when we filter to control all right everyone go to genesis chapter 25 and if that's you following along in our trusty bibles that's going to be on page 19 all right so genesis 25 and this is the story of um Rebecca and Isaac, okay, and they have twin 
babies. And while these babies are in the womb, they're wrestling. Okay, like it's like it's WWA inside uh, uh, the the womb, and they're going out. It's a cage match moment, and uh, Rebecca is really struggling. Like God, what is going inside of me? And God answers her and says, "The older will serve the younger." To which she's like, "Sweet, great prophecy." I don't know how that deals with the pain going on. Anyway, she has gives birth to twins. They both live. Everyone is happily ever after until we find out how they grow up. Watch this, 25, 28. Jacob loved Esau because he ate of his game. I mean, he's a manly man. And he did a lot of grunting and a lot of killing of of animals, and he ate them, and it was really fun. And they bonded over that. But Rebecca loved Jacob. He was a man of the tents. He He was a man of fashion. He could cook really well. He was very domesticated. And so you have this playing favorites, which, if you didn't know it, playing favorites is a recipe for disaster. We find out later uh, from the story that Rebecca has issue with Esau's marriage choices, okay? And Christmas and Thanksgiving were awkward every year because they would say things, they would make little comments, and then Rebecca would make comments, and the comments would go back and forth about cooking and who brought the, you know, the way that they, you know, design the Thanksgiving meal and the way that the, the buffet line should go. It was a complete mess. And these, these ladies were not like of one accord. And so at some point, uh, Rebecca makes it very clear she can't stand Esau's wives. Okay, like this wasn't like, I don't know, has anybody ever experienced this? There's a point where the mother-in-law says to the daughters, um, I'd appreciate if you just didn't show up. Okay, I can do Christmas, maybe Thanksgiving, but that's about it. Now, the other part of this is odd is that Jacob doesn't get married. Like, he's like, they're like, remember, they're twins. Esau's got two wives. Jacob's single. And Rebecca likes it that way. It's one thing to be single and 15. It's another thing to be 35 and single. You with me? Living at home with mom where she's controlling things. In fact, watch, watch what happens. In fact, it gets kind of bizarre. Like she is so sort of frustrated with Esau and his wives. She wants to make sure that never happens. She's very protective of Jacob. And then she's going to make sure that he gets the father's blessing. If you're not familiar with what the father's blessing is, essentially is that the older kid, no matter how much older he is, could be two minutes or two years or 20 years, he gets double what the younger brother gets. So he gets a double portion. And so she's going to think of a way, I've got to make sure my son Jacob gets a double portion so I don't have to deal with those women, and I'll make sure he marries somebody I approve of. And if he does get married. So look at this. Now, chapter 27, verse 5. Now, Rebecca was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebecca said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. And here's what he said. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now, therefore, my son, Rebecca to Jacob, obey my voice. Do as I command you. This is mom wounds 101. It's one thing to obey your mom when you're 15. Another thing when you're 35. Here it is. You better do what I say. To which she then gives him instruction, go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare for them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so he may bless you 
before he dies. But Jacob's like, um, I don't think that's going to work. But Jacob said to Rebekah's mother, behold, my brother Esau is a, a hairy man. And behold, I'm a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. And now listen to this as only a mother can like say. His mother said to him, let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go and bring them to me. I'll handle it. Anytime your mom starts handling things for you, it gets weird. Rebecca, watch, filtered her love through controlling her son to manipulate her husband to get what she wanted. Rebecca filtered her love to control her husband. Now, people do this in dating all the time, right? I mean, we manipulate filters all the time. And, like, and this is the reality. You're like, well, I'm a cat, so I need to present the best image of myself that all those other shallow people would fall in love with the right version of me. And then I, we can kind of meet later and we'll figure it out because I'm awesome. And I deserve awesome. So I'm going to put this image of awesome out there that I'm aspiring to. And, that, of course, we do that dating, right? But what about marriage? Do you do that in marriage? So early on in, in the life of our church, you know, uh, every pastor sort of has this especially in church planting world, when you're sort of starting anew. And I, and I came at when the church had about 60 people, and I was number four, member 41. And at that moment, I was like, okay, Adrian, listen, if we don't get this thing to 200, it's not going to make it. All right, we got we to gotta push hard. And so every morning at 6 a.m., I would be meeting as many people as I could, try to encourage them to come to church. And then at 6 p.m., I'd get back, we'd eat dinner, and I'd like... Hey, I got to go meet some more people, and I go out there again, right? I'd be like, we got to go meet. We got to go get things. We got to have people over. We got to do dinner. And Adrian was like, when do I get friends? I said, we can worry about friends later. <laughs> we got people to meet, all right? So listen, it's only going to be a season. Several years later, she's like, is that season over yet? Almost, all right? This is just a season. She's like, if I hear one more time it's a season, I'm going to ring your... Okay, okay, listen. Okay, I get it. I get it. And what had happened here, can I just, can, I just, can we just put full, full front, frontal, all cards on the table, naked and unashamed moment. When I traced back why I was so um, motivated, one, you could say, man, I'm really passionate about the gospel, which is true. True. I'm not, there's not like a, a lack of passion for Jesus. However, coming right alongside that deep faith in God was this great fear that if I didn't, it won't. Does anybody else experience that at your workplace? If I don't, it won't. If I don't sit through, if I don't make sure, if I don't, if I don't do everything I possibly can, if I'm not out there meeting and greeting and doing the thing, then it won't. It's all up to And so the people that get sacrificed in that are small children. The people that get sacrificed in that um, are romantic marriage. And it, you know, Adrian was the one that had to help me discover that that was my real issue. Because she's like, why are you so concerned about the numbers? Because numbers equal people and people equal... And I could go into a great reason why numbers matter. But the reality was, is it pushed back into the fear? I traced my fear all the way back to the idol, 
which is, I don't know if I trust God with this church, okay? And so it might be for you. I don't know if I trust God with my work. I don't know if I trust God with my family. I don't know if I trust God with that thing. And so we put all sorts of control out there to make sure, because we have the illusion of control. Now, the hard part about that is at times, the filter I would put on is I would blame Adrian for not, for being too needy about needing me home all the time. Okay? And then so I put that filter on so she'd feel guilty about it as opposed to me feeling any sort of conviction. You with me? And so what happens is that you can sort of filter, you know, this filter of love that you put on is, is sort of covering up your own idol and issues, and then it's also covering up your love, and so then it all, it's this great facade about, I need more control. Do you see how that works? And then you get angry when people don't do what they're supposed to do. You with me? And so here's what I need you to see, is that this reality of filtering our love to control our spouse, to get the outcome that I want, is deadly and it's dark, and we need to repent of that. And I think since that point of repentance for me, it's like life has become very free. And uh, I know we need numbers to get loans, but I don't know what they are anymore. Isn't that crazy? I have no idea. I have no idea how many people we had last week. And I could have told you every week, the first couple years, I knew every week, every week, from the like five years back, and I could tell you predictively how many people would be at each service. But now it's different. Because my heart has been at this place of I'm going to give Jesus full control. And so this is what I need you to do with your work or that thing that prevents you or you're, you're controlling so that you don't give yourself fully to your spouse and kind of confess the place where you're hiding to control them, to make sure that you get what you want. Too convicting? Move forward. All right, so let's go to our last couple, Hosea. Hosea and Gomer, if you're not familiar with this, Hosea and Gomer, uh, it's a prophet and a prostitute. So uh, God comes to Hosea and like probably you're like, are you sure, God, that's really what you want me to do? Or maybe you're like, sweet, this is the, you know, like go down the brothel, marry a prostitute. Not really the thing that you're thinking. If you're a prophet of God, not really something you want to put on your resume. Man, I married a prostitute. So God says, I want you to go love a prostitute. I want you to have children with this prostitute. And then she's going to leave you. Watch this. And he's saying, this is what it's like to be a God to the nation of Israel. I've made a covenant with them and they keep running from me. They go chasing after other gods. They go chasing after all sorts of things. And they are spiritually prostitutes of the world. And I, as God, have to deal with that. Now, Hosea, I want you to go and do it in real life. And so he does. And then for, in chapter 3, after she leaves him as a single dad, and he's raising these kids all by himself, he's like, and the Lord said to me, go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. To which you're like, oh, again? Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. To which you're like, what's wrong with cakes of raisins? Uh, that, that's just another term for aphrodisiacs, okay? That's raisin cakes for the aphrodisiac of the day. So think chocolates and wine, all right? I don't know. So here it is. He says, you go again, you do it. And he's like, mm, yes, Lord, and he does. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lecteth of barley, to which you're like, what's that? Well, 15 shekels, 
that's about 15 shekels. And a homer and a lecteth of barley is another 15 shekels. And so here's what you know that that's worth. 30 shekels is if you accidentally killed somebody's slave, that's what you had to pay him in uh, reparations. Like, sorry for your dead slave, here's 30 shekels. So he goes and buys her for the cost of, like, killing somebody's slave. So she's at the point of worthless at this point. And I said to her, now listen to this. Listen to this line. It, it sounds sort of like, uh, vulgar, but it's actually really powerful. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. Meaning, you're not going anywhere. I will find you. I will pursue you because I love you. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. And this line right here is so powerful. So will I also be to you. Doesn't he have every right to say like, I'm out of here. Found you. All right, now I'm going to let you know how wrong you are and how you hurt me. No, I'm going to love you. I'm going to pursue you. I'm coming after you. And even though you are uh, by far at this point of your prostitution career, like it's over for you and we send you out to pasture, I want to love you like a husband loves a wife. I will be to you that covenantly, covenantly in love. Hosea, now watch, this is so neat. Hosea overcame Gomer's filter to show her love in spite of the risk. Because isn't this the problem? Isn't this the problem? A lot of us, we've been so hurt by hurt people that we're like, I'm not doing love. I'm not doing, I'm not going back there. I've already been hurt. I already know how that works. And then, if you're married to one of those hurt people, you go, I mean, I can't love a rock. I mean, what do you want me to do? Hug the rock. Mm, It's very cold and icy. Listen, but the number one indicator for me for marriages that have gone through an affair, you want the number one indicator if they're going to make it or not, is if um, they see purpose for their marriage beyond making themselves happy. If you've ever been, and listen, I I hope to God you've never been betrayed like this, but if you ever get to that point, it is saying this. It's like, I've been so wounded, and how could I ever trust him? I'm not going to love anyone ever again. But Hosea, he had this purpose to show the whole world God-like love so that the world would see, oh, that's how God loves me? Like in my worst darkest place he'll come find me and buy me back even when i'm worthless because god runs to us even after we run after the gods of this world that promise eternal life but deliver pain that promise eternal internal joy but deliver us worry and we get freedom from all that and he stuck it out and if you're in a marriage where you've been hurt at such a personal level There has to be a vision for your marriage to show the world that God's not only real, but he heals and he mends broken things. And this is our struggle. We're afraid to let people in because pain is on the other side of that. And then the question that I always ask people, is that person, watch this, watch this, single people, single people, is that person worth hurting for? That's how you know you're gonna marry them. They're worth hurting for because newsflash, you're going to get hurt. Every marriage has pain. But is that person worth hurting for? Married people, are you going to keep the filter on and be like, I'm good. 
I, you know, you do your thing, I'll do me. Listen, we'll make, wait till the kids are out, and then we'll just go our own way. Is that sort of your methodology? Or are you going to let yourself be loved, and are you going to be vulnerable to love somebody that's a high-risk person? Because everybody in here is high-risk because you're human. And you're going to say dumb things, and you're going to do dumb things, and it's never going to be like the thing of like, uh, wedded blessed with Cinderella. It is, Prince Charming is actually Oscar the Grouch, okay? Like, that's the reality of who you're married to, and on their best day, they sometimes, you know, have Im- like flashes of Prince Charming, but most of the time, they're just sort of grumpy. Are they worth hurting for? Okay, now, this is where I look at you like, well, not really. Uh, hold on. Jesus went to the cross and said, you're worth hurting for. Jesus is on the cross. The joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. He goes and does it. Why? You are worth hurting for. And that's the power of the gospel. You and your brokenness, you and your sickness, you and you is worth hurting for, for Christ. So when we look at our spouse, we look at them as someone worth hurting for because Jesus hurt to redeem them. All right. So, so then this question always, is your love filtered? Is your love filtered? And this morning, I really want us to kind of wrap our head around that. Am I filtering my love? Am I hiding the shame? And I, and I know what is and what ought. It's a huge difference or distance. Am I making my way towards what ought from what is? Is my love filtered? Am I using my love? Am I manipulating my spouse so that I can get what I want when I want it? Because the outcome I'm so terrified of, if I don't, it won't. Is your love filtered? Where you look at that person and all the hurt and all the broken, all the, 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 the barbed, whipped sayings that come back at you and you're like, I, I'm just not going to go there. You do you, I'll do me, and we'll just like be roommates. Are you willing to unfilter and be hurt because Jesus was unfiltered for you and hurt so that you might be redeemed? So as you're pondering all that, um, we're going to take the Lord's Supper this morning. And the night before Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and then he broke it. And then he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So this morning, you're going to come up here, take the bread, dip into the wine or the grape juice to remember that our soul feeds on Jesus like our body feeds on bread. And that same night, Jesus took the cup. Wood for wine, glass for grape juice. He said, this is my blood shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin my hurt your righteousness you were worth it and so as we take of the bread and take of the cup I want us to reflect before you get up here I want you to reflect where am I filtering myself and I want you to pray to God say God I'm sorry for filtering my love toward my spouse Lord give me the wisdom to know how to to live my life as a single person and what's appropriate in my filters and I know I've probably gone past all that help me be real and vulnerable with people so I want you to confess if you're not a Christian don't take communion because it's not your time but maybe this morning you step over that line of faith to believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sin and he rose to the dead you come and you take communion with us but before you come up here I want you to wrestle with 
How is God speaking to you this morning? And is there anything you need to confess and repent of? Let's pray. Father, uh, I know that you are working. You are constantly doing your thing in our lives. And God, I'm praying that everybody here would recognize, Jesus, that you are doing a great work. Father, I pray for somebody who doesn't know you at all, that Jesus, that they would come to recognize that you died on the cross for their sin and you rose from the dead and they would step over that line of faith to believe and they would say, thank you, Jesus. Maybe they say, God, I'm a sinner. Save me. And it would be that simple. And they would come and remember that you died on the cross for them and you shed your blood for them. And Father, for the rest of us here who are Christians, Lord, would you convict our hearts? We confess our sins before you because we know you're faithful and just to forgive us of all our sin and cleanse us from all righteousness. That fellowship with you would be restored. And maybe we walk out of here in tears knowing how loved we are that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And our marriages and our relationships that have been sort of filtered would be at a place of redemption. Lord, we love you worship you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Just take a second and imagine what it would look like if filters fell, you got real, and what is moved toward what ought to be. Imagine this place where you didn't filter yourself or filter your love to get an outcome. But you dropped it. You loved even though it could hurt. We drop filters and we know risk is inevitable with loving people. But we love because he first loved us. That kind of love would transform you, your family, this church, and that city. Would you receive the benediction? Go and be a people who love unfiltered. Go and be a people who look to put the gospel forward in the marriage, in your relationship and everything you do go and push back the darkness and have an awesome week of worship you are sent